0: order, questions to the Prime Minister, Anna Subri. Question number one, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister.
1: Thank you, Mr Speaker. As we return from the summer recess, I am sure the thoughts of members across the House are with the friends and families of the victims of the tragic Barcelona terror attack last month, including seven-year-old Julian Cadman. Mr Speaker, I want to reassure the House that the United Kingdom has ensured that assistance in the form of military and humanitarian resources are already in place for those countries, including the overseas territories, which are preparing for Hurricane Irma. Uh, Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today.
0: Anna Soubry. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Of course,
1: everybody agrees with my right honourable friend. The thoughts that she shares, especially in relation
0: to all those who perished in the terror attack in Barcelona, especially Julian Cadman. Mr Speaker, as part of the process of leaving the European Union, it is imperative that we transfer existing EU laws, regulations, directives and the rest into substantive British law. There are many concerns, very serious concerns, along these benches about the means, not the ends, of the EU withdrawal bill. So could my right honourable friend assure me that she will look in particular at those amendments that seek to change the EU Withdrawal Bill so that it doesn't become an unprecedented and unnecessary government power grab?
2: Yeah.
1: I'm very grateful to my right honourable friend for raising this issue and I know that, like me, she wants to see an orderly exit from the European Union and will be supporting this bill, which enables us not just to leave the EU but to do so in an orderly manner with a functioning statute book. Now, As we do that, of course, we will require certain powers to make corrections to the statute book after the bill becomes law, because the negotiations are ongoing. and We will do that via secondary legislation, which will receive parliamentary scrutiny – an approach which has been an approach that has been endorsed by the House of Lords Constitution Committee, but I, I would like to re- reassure my right honourable friend that as the bill goes through its scrutiny in this House and the debate continues, we will of course listen very carefully to that debate, and I will be very happy
2: to meet my right honourable friend to discuss this further. Yeah. Jeremy Corbyn, <laughs> Mr. Speaker. Yeah. Mr. Speaker um, I agree with the Prime Minister on what she just said about Barcelona. The attack was abominable and appalling, and I think we should think of the victims, but also thank the people of Barcelona for their wonderful community response to what was a threat to all of them. Mr Speaker, I hope the whole House will join me in thinking also of the victims of the terrible floods in Bangladesh, Nepal, India, Sierra Leone and Texas, and of obviously our thoughts are with those facing Hurricane Irma in the Caribbean as we speak. Mr. Speaker, every member across this House should be concerned that inflation is once again running ahead of people's pay. This week, workers at McDonald's restaurants took strike action for the first time in this country. The boss of McDonald's, Steve Easterbrook, is reported to have earned £11.8 million last year, while some of his staff are paid as little as £4.75 per hour. Does the Prime Minister back the McDonald's workers case for an end to zero hours contract and decent pay?
0: Prime Minister.
1: The, obviously the issue that is taking place in McDonald's is a matter for McDonald's to deal with, but the question let's focus on what the right honourable gentleman has raised which is let's focus on what the right honourable gentleman has raised about things like zero hour zero hours contracts in fact the number of people on zero hours contracts is very small there are people who genuinely say it is who genuinely say, as a proportion of the workforce, who genuinely say that it is a benefit to them to be on those contracts. But for 13 years, the Labour Party was in government and did nothing about zero-hours contracts. It is is this Conservative government that has put the workers first and banned exclusive zero-hours contracts. Mr.
2: Mr Speaker, my question was about McDonald's and the Chief Executive is paid 1,300 times as much as his staff. There are 800,000 people, approximately, in Britain on zero-hours contracts. When she became leader, the Prime Minister pledged, and I quote, I want to make shareholder votes on corporate pay not just advisory, but binding. And she put it into her manifesto. That manifesto has now been dumped or archived or whatever you want a uh, way you want to describe it, and like so much else in her manifesto, where was the tough talk on corporate greed? Was it just for the election campaign, or is it going to be put, or is it, or is it going to be put into law?
1: Prime Minister. I suggest to the right hon. Gentleman that he looks again at the action that in government Conservatives have taken on this issue. It is the Conservative Government that has recently published our proposals on corporate governance. It is Conservatives that gave shareholders the power to veto pay policies. It is Conservatives that forced companies to disclose board directors' pay, and it is Conservatives that introduced tough transparency measures for the banks. That has been done not by a Labour Government. It is the Conservative Party that has been putting workers.
2: I note she uses the word advisory because page 18 of the Dumped Manifesto says, "The next conser- says, Mr Speaker, the next Conservative government will legislate to make executive pay packages subject to strict annual votes by shareholders. She's gone back on her word. Yeah. To help people struggling... Mr Speaker... To help people struggling to make ends meet, many politicians have become convinced that we need to cap energy prices. Even the Prime Minister was briefly converted to this policy. Last week, the profit margins of the big six energy companies hit their highest ever level. I wonder if I could now prevail on the Prime Minister to stick to her own manifesto pledges on this matter as well? Prime Minister.
1: Uh, Well, first of all, on the uh, question of what we were doing on corporate governments, actually, I didn't use the word advisory in my answer. So, can I suggest to the Right Honourable Gentleman that in future he listens to uh, the answer and doesn't just read out the statement that he's been.
0: But he's raised,
1: he's raised, he has raised an important issue. He's raised an important issue about energy prices, because we are concerned about the way that that particular market is operating. We do expect the companies to treat customers fairly. And, uh that is why we have been looking at the action that can be taken, and it is why the business secretary has been doing exactly that. And uh, He wrote to Ofgem in June, asking them to advise on what action they could take to safeguard customers. We are particularly concerned about those who are the poorest customers, who are on, kept on these tarifs, tariffs that do not give them value for money. So I agree, and it is the government that is doing something about it.
2: Well, Mr Speaker, if only that were the case, because uh, Offgem's plans only will benefit 2.6 million customers. 17 million customers are shortchanged by the big six energy companies. She could and should take action on it. Mr Speaker, but she's not the only one going back on her word. Uh, <laughs> When the members opposite have, uh, Mr. Speaker when the members opposite have calmed down a little, I'd just like to say this at last year's, at last year's Sports Direct annual meeting, Mike Ashley personally pledged to ban the use of zero hours contracts in his company a year on They're still exploiting insecure workers with zero-hours contracts. Will the Prime Minister join me in now demanding that Mr Ashley honour his words and end zero-hours contracts in all of his companies?
1: Prime Minister As I've said it's this government that has actually taken action in relation to zero hour contracts, unlike the Labour Party. But the Right Honourable Gentleman, the Right Honourable Gentleman talks about manifestos and people going back on their word. I might remind him that in the Labour Party manifesto there was a commitment to support Trident, our nuclear independent nuclear deterrent. Shortly, short, shortly after the election, in private, he told people he didn't agree with that. For years, the right honourable, for years, the right honourable gentleman sat on the Labour Party benches and didn't support Labour policy. Now he's Labour leader, and he still doesn't support Labour policy.
2: Mr Speaker, I listened really carefully to what the Prime Minister said on this occasion and I'm struggling to see the connection between what she just said, Mike Ashley, Sports Direct and McDonald's. So maybe she could now answer the question, will she condemn what Sports Direct and McDonald's are doing to their staff? It's quite straightforward, yes or no. Mr Speaker, today, Thousands of nursing and other health care staff are outside Parliament. They're demanding that this government scrap the 1% pay cap. Poor pay means experienced staff are leaving and fewer people are training to become nurses. There's already a shortage of 40,000 nurses across the UK. Will the Prime Minister please see sense and end the public sector pay cap and ensure our NHS staff are properly... Pa- We we absolutely value the work of all those
1: who work in the public sector, nurses, teachers and others who are doing a good job for us, day in and day out, in often what are very difficult and harrowing circumstances. It might be helpful if I remind the House as to where we are on the issue of the pay review bodies and public sector pay, because there are two pay review body reports for 2017-18 still to be published and for the government to respond to for police and prison officers, and that will happen shortly. And uh, then later, as always happens every year, later in the autumn, we will publish the framework for 2018-19, and we'll continue to balance the need to protect jobs the need to protect public sector workers and the need to ensure uh, that we're also protecting and being fair to those who are paying for it including public sector workers but I say to the the right honourable gentleman that what we have seen from what he does in uh, this house and outside this house is consistently stand up and ask for more money to be spent on this, that and the other now he can do that in opposition he can... Consistently for more money to be spent, he can do that in opposition because he knows he doesn't have to pay for it. The problem with Labour is that they do it in government as well. And when Labour, as a result of the decisions the Labour Party took in government, as a result, as a result of the decisions the Labour Party took in government, we now have to pay more on debt interest than on NHS pay. Of Labour, Jeremy
0: Corbyn.
2: Speaker, the Prime Minister had no problems finding a billion pounds to please the DUP. No problems whatsoever. And NHS staff are 14% worse off than they were seven years ago. Is she really happy that NHS staff use food banks? Warm words, don't pay food bills. Pay rises will help to do that. She must end the public sector pay cap. The reality, Mr Speaker, for working people is lower wages and less job security, with in-work poverty now at record levels. So will the Prime Minister clarify something she evaded during the election campaign? For those struggling to get by, whether employed, self-employed, permanent or temporary, can the Prime Minister categorically state today they will not see rises in the basic rate of income tax, national insurance contributions or value-added tax? Prime Minister.
1: I can tell the right hon. Gentleman the help we have been giving to those who are just about managing. We have taken four million people out of paying income tax altogether. Tax cut to over 30 million people. We see record numbers of people in employment in this country. We have given the lowest earners the highest pay rise for 20 years by introducing the national living wage. But you only get that with a strong economy. We believe, we believe in sound money. He believes in higher debt. We believe in making our economy strong so we can invest in our public services. Labour's approach is reckless, ours is balanced. Our approach delivers a strong economy that's more money for the public services, more jobs for people and families, but you only get a strong economy and a better future with the Conservatives.
0: Yeah. very much, uh, Mr Speaker. As the Prime Minister said, this government has an outstanding record of job creation, with three million more people in work than seven years ago. It is perfectly true that wage rises have not been as high as we would have hoped, but I am proud that we gave that big boost. To people at the low end with the rise in the national living wage. What the honourable right honourable gentleman opposite does not understand is, so you can only have sustainable rises in pay with increases in productivity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My question to the prime minister is: Will she instruct all of her ministers to bring forward proposals for productivity rises in time for the chancellor to announce them at the Budget? Right lunch? honourable gentleman, the prime minister.
1: I thank my uh, right honourable friend, and he's absolutely put his finger on it. Productivity is absolutely crucial for the strength of our economy going forward and improving that productivity. And that's that's why we're introducing our modern industrial strategy, which will boost productivity. It's also why we are introducing technical education, really good quality technical education, for the first time in this country to ensure that young people have the skills they need to take the higher paid jobs that will be created as a result of our
0: industrial strategy. Ian Blackford. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that immigration is essential to the strength of the UK economy as well as enhancing our diversity and cultural fabric? The
1: Minister as, as I have said on many occasions before, overall immigration has been good for the UK. But what what people want to see is control of that immigration. That's, I think, what people wanted to see as a result. Want to see as a result of coming out of the European Union. We're already able to exercise controls in relation to those who come to this country from outside the uh, the countries within the European Union. And we continue to believe, as a government, that it's important to have mig- net migration at sustainable levels. We, Believe that to be the tens of thousands because of the impact, particularly, it has on people at the lower end of the income scale in depressing their wages.
0: Three in Blackford. Mr. Speaker, last October, the Prime Minister was forced into a humiliating U turn on proposals to force companies to disclose how many foreign workers they employ. During the summer, 100 EU nationals resident in the United Kingdom no. received deportation notices in no. error, no. causing alarm to them Shame. and many others. No. We need to cherish those who are here and not chase yeah. them away. Yeah. The Prime Minister must stop dancing to the tune of her right-wing backbenchers yeah. and apologise yeah. apologise yeah. for the disgraceful treatment her government has shown migrants in the UK. Yeah. In the first instance, yeah. will she pledge that international students will no longer be included in the net migration figures. Just uh, Can I just say to the uh,
1: Honourable Gentleman in relation to the error that was made by the Home Office every single one of those individuals was telephoned with an apology uh, to uh, it shouldn't have happened in the first place but the uh, Government did telephone with an apology but let me just say this to the Honourable Gentleman as I explained in my first answer to him There is a reason for wanting to ensure that we can control migration. It is because of the impact that that migration can have, that net migration can have, on people, on access to services, on access on infrastructure. But crucially, crucially, it often hits those at the lower end of the income scale hardest. And I suggest that the Honourable Gentleman thinks about that impact rather than just standing up here uh, and saying what he has done. It's important that we bring in uh, controls. We want to continue to welcome the brightest and the best here to the United Kingdom, and we will continue to do so.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mr. Richard Bennion. Uh,
2: I, know that my, uh, I, I know that my right honourable friend will be as alarmed and angered as many. Uh, the decision of the Northern Ireland Judicial uh, authorities to reopen the so-called legacy cases involving past and present members of the armed forces. These cases have been meticulously investigated and represent just 10% of deaths in the Troubles. A line really does need to be drawn here. Does my right hon. Friend agree that it is wrong to single out any group for this kind of investigation and that the hundreds and thousands of hundreds of thousands of people who served in Northern Ireland should feel appreciated for the difficult job they did, not being handed into old age by investigations of this kind. Can I first of all say to my
1: right hon. Friend that we are unstinting in our admiration for the role that our armed forces played in ensuring that Northern Ireland's future would only ever be decided by democracy and consent. And the overwhelming majority served with great distinction, and we do indeed owe them a great debt of gratitude. But as part of our work to implement the Stormont House Agreement, we will ensure that new legacy bodies will be under legal obligations to be fair, balanced and proportionate. That will make sure that our veterans are not unfairly treated or disproportionately investigated, and will indeed reflect the fact that 90% of deaths in the Troubles were caused by terrorists and not by the armed forces. Um, but, of course, as he will understand, as he will appreciate, the investigations by uh, PSNI are, of course, a matter for them, as they are independent of government.
0: The Alexander.
1: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The Prime Minister will be aware of the death of my constituent, Kim Briggs, who was knocked over last year by a cyclist on an illegal fixed-wheel bike with no front brake. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that the law on dangerous driving should be extended to include offences by cyclists? And does she she also agree with me that the 1861 offence of wanton and furious driving, which the prosecution had to rely upon in this case, is hopelessly outdated yeah. and wholly inadequate. Yeah. Prime Minister! Can I, can I first of all uh, extend our sympathies to the family and friends of the Honourable Lady's constituent who died in those tragic circumstances? And she's raised an important issue. It was, of course. I think we should welcome the fact that the prosecution were able to find legislation under which they were able to take a prosecution. But the point she makes is is a general one about ensuring that our legislation keeps up to date with developments that take place. And I'm sure this is an issue that the Secretary of State for Transport will look at. Helen Waitley.
0: Thank you, Mr Speaker.
1: Living near a natural green space is good for your physical and mental health, yeah, yeah. but those in the most deprived areas of this country are the least likely to do so. My right honourable friend is committed to reducing inequality and improving mental health. <coughs> Can I ask her to read the new report published by the Conservative Environment Network,
0: yeah, masterminded
1: by my honourable friend, the member for Taunton Dean, yeah. Yeah. And I was going to take on board its recommendation to consider the environment across government policy. Well, I take my Prime Minister. The whole question of mental health is one that I know she has campaigned on and has a particular interest in. And uh, it's interesting that she has raised, I welcome the fact that she's raised this issue of the health benefits of, of green space, which is becoming, I think, ever more recognised. And certainly, I know that this is something that the Conservative Environment Network highlights in its report. DEFRA is uh, about to produce, or will. Will be producing a 25-year environment plan. It will look at the evidence within that report, uh, and it will focus on what can be done to ensure that the benefits provided by access to green space are available to all segments of society.
0: Ruth Smith. Thank you.
1: This summer, a third of all parents across the country went without a meal to ensure that they could feed their children during the school holidays. In stoke on trent amazing volunteers came together to provide over 10,000 meals for local kids. I'm very proud of my constituents, but I'm disgusted at this government who have done nothing and turned a blind eye. How many kids have to go hungry? How many parents have to go without food before this Prime Minister will do her job and act?
0: Prime Minister!
1: Well, I have to say to the Honourable Lady, I recognise the issue that she has raised about uh, children, particularly those who are normally uh, able to access free school meals during term time, and the impact this has uh, during the holidays, is a matter that her right honourable friend, the Member for Birkenhead, has of course uh, been taking up, and uh, together with colleagues in the APPG, for hunger. Now, from the Government's point of view, our focus remains on tackling the root causes of poverty. This is what is important, not just the symptoms. nearly three-quarters of children from workless families moved out of poverty when their parents entered into full-time work. And we see record levels of employment under this government. That's why this is so important, ensuring that we get a strong economy and those jobs. But I'm sure that ministers at the Department for Work and Pensions and the Department for Education will be looking at the proposals the Right Honourable Member for Birkenhead has brought uh, brought further.
0: Mr John Barron, the reductions in unemployment, poverty, and income inequality are some of our proudest achievements in the recent years. What more is the Government planning to do to further the One Nation principle and ensure a fairer society still?
1: The Prime Minister the is absolutely right because, under this government, we have seen income inequality fall to its lowest level since 1986. The number of people in absolute poverty is at a record low, and we've got the lowest unemployment rate since 1975. But he's right; there is more to do, and that's why yesterday we announced a £40 million, uh, £40 million for youth organisation. To boost the skills and life chances for dis- young people who are living in disadvantaged areas I think that will have a transformational effect on the lives of some of our most disadvantaged young people and will help to achieve the fairer society that my honourable friend has rightly referred to.
0: Luciana Berger yeah. Yeah.
1: Thank you Mr. Speaker, a few weeks ago, the utterly shaming lack of mental health provision in this country was condemned by our most senior family court judge as he sought a bed for a desperately ill teenage girl. The 17-year-old had been restrained no fewer than 117 times in a place not fit to care for her. Does the Prime Minister agree with me, in echoing the words of Sir James Mumby, that the continued failure to tackle our nation's mental health crisis means the state will have blood on its hands? Prime Minister. I am sure everybody across this House was concerned to read of the circumstances of the individual that she has referred to and the treatment that she had received. I accept that we need to do more in relation to our mental health services. That is precisely why the Government is putting more money into mental health. It is why we have introduced a number of programmes, particularly focusing on the mental health of young people. It is why we have reduced by 80 per cent the numbers of people being detained in police cells because of their mental, uh, mental ill health, and, as I say, we've increased the funding. But, of course, we need to do more. That's why we're pushing forward on further change. Ref- and we are pledged to reforming outdated mental health laws, and we've created targets to improve standards of care. I agree mental health is important. This government is focusing on it. This government is putting more resource into it.
0: Yeah. David Duggett.
2: Thank you, Mr Speaker. Yeah, yeah. yeah. industry uh, around the whole of the United Kingdom and in particular my constituency of Banff and Buchan. Can I ask the Prime Minister what discussions the government has had with the representatives of the fishing industry in the northeast of Scotland as part of the ongoing EU withdrawal
0: negotiations. Yeah.
1: Minister I recognize the importance of the fishing industry to a number of parts of the United Kingdom including of course my honourable friend's uh, constituency and he's right to raise this point. The government is engaging with a range of fishing stakeholders including a meeting with the Scottish Fishermen's Federation which took place in July. We do value our fishing communities and support supporting them will be an important part of the action we take as we exit from the European Union. So We are working closely with the fishing industry. I myself, on a number of occasions across the summer, have met some fishermen and spoken to them about the industry. And We are working with fishermen and others who have a stakeholder in the industry to make sure that we get this right when we leave the European Union.
0: Nigel Dodds. Hey, Mr. Speaker. Uh, the Prime Minister will be aware of our initiative last week. Uh, to have devolution up and running in Northern Ireland immediately in parallel with the talks process, an initiative which was welcomed by the Irish government, opposition parties and a wide section of public opinion in Northern Ireland. If, however, despite all of our best efforts and the agreement of all the other parties, Sinn Féin stands alone, continues to block the restoration of government in Northern Ireland, will she confirm to the House what a government spokesperson said yesterday evening about the future governance arrangements for Northern Ireland, in particular the very welcome statement that there will be no question of joint authority or a role for Dublin.
1: Minister. The the Right Honourable Gentleman is right about the importance of the talks that we have to restore a devolved administration in Northern Ireland. Uh, I am happy to confirm that we would not be looking at a joint authority. He will be aware that the uh, Belfast Agreement does include within it certain responsibilities in relation to the Government of the Republic of Ireland and North South coordination. Uh, But I think that the focus for all of us should be on trying to ensure that we can uh, resolve the current differences and we can see that devolved administration reasserted in northern ireland i think that is what will be best for the people of northern ireland
0: chris phil thank you mr speaker by refusing to even discuss free trade does the prime minister agree that the european commission is damaging the employment and economic interests of their own member states for example for example for example endangering jobs in the german car industry for whom the UK is the largest export market will the prime minister call on other european heads of government to prevail on the european commission to end to end this act of wanton economic self-harm and start and start free trade talks which are so clearly in the interests of everybody
1: prime minister Say to my honourable friend, as he will know, my right honourable friend, the Secretary of State for Exiting the EU, was uh, recently back in Brussels for the further round of negotiations. Those have been productive and constructive, but of course we do want to see the discussions moving on to the future relationship. Uh, what this government has done over the summer and will be continuing to do is publishing a set of position papers that set out options and, and uh, ideas for how that deep and special partnership can be taken forward in the future. But my honourable friend is absolutely right. This isn't just a question of what suits the United Kingdom? Actually, it's in the interests of the European Union to have that good, deep, and special
0: partnership. Mohammed Yassin Thank you, Mr. Speaker. What action is the Prime Minister taking to ensure that my constituents, many of whom are paying in excess of £5,000 to travel to London every year, get better service—not the, not the uh, service the
1: new plans under our government have introduced? And these under these plans the people of bedford will lose the intercity uh, rail services
0: <laughs>
1: prime minister i didn't catch um, well can i say to the uh, the honorable gentleman that we the If you look at the record of this Government, we recognise the importance of of rail services. Oh, he says, no, we don't. I suggest he just looks at the funding that we are putting into improving rail services across this country. That is a sign of the recognition we have of the importance of those services.
0: One person sleeping rough is one too many. Our party's manifesto set out to end rough sleeping by the end of this Parliament. Now, given the important role that charities play in this task, yeah. will the Prime Minister join me in paying tribute to the excellent charity Crisis, which is marking its 50th anniversary? Yeah. 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 Can I- Prime Minister!
1: I first of all pay tribute to my hon. Friend because I know this is an issue that he cares about deeply and he co- co-chairs? the uh, APPG on ending homelessness and he's right we did have a commitment in relation to uh, reducing rough sleeping uh, and by halving it by 2022 and eliminating it altogether by 2027 and 550 million pounds has already been allocated until 2020 to tackle homelessness and rough sleeping but i'm also happy to join with him in paying tribute to crisis as they mark their 50th anniversary they have been doing over those 50 years doing a very important job and I I will be hosting a reception for them to mark their 50th anniversary in Downing Street later today.
0: Shaw. Thank you, Mr. Speaker.
1: The University of Bradford, in my constituency, makes a compelling case for a medical school teaching all types of health professionals. Can the Prime Minister confirm that those universities, where the need is the most and greatest, will be given the opportunity to set up medical schools? Yeah. <laughs> Well, we, uh, first of all, of course, we're pleased that we're going to be increasing the number of uh, training places. Uh, and that does mean that the Department of Health is looking at the whole question of what places are available, where, and what new medical schools should be set up. So I'm sure um, that the uh, Secretary of State for Health will be interested in hearing her pitch for uh, for Bradford to have a, a medical school.
0: Ms. Davis. Thank
1: you, Mr. Speaker. Yeah, yeah. In the 1960s and 70s, thousands of women
0: were prescribed primitive. As a pregnancy test. This resulted in profound effects for the Babies that followed, including uh, my constituent Charlotte Fensom, who cares as the sister alongside elderly parents of her brother Stephen, who was profoundly affected. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that those families do now deserve justice and there should be a chance to launch a public
1: inquiry into this terrible scandal? Yeah.
0: Prime Minister.
1: Uh, my Honourable friend has raised an important issue and she's absolutely right to do so, and we should recognise the impact that this had on those women who who took uh, this hormone pregnancy test during pregnancy from the late 1950s into the uh, 1970s. I think 1978 is the uh, the last time. There is an expert working group which has been set up which is uh, looking into this issue, which is due to publish its findings in the autumn. But I'd be very happy to meet my honourable friend to discuss uh, this issue with her.
0: Leila Moran. Parents in my constituency are
1: disappointed. Over the summer, they sought to take advantage...
0: (laughs) Oh, order? This is a very unseemly response. The, the Honourable Lady is a new member. Order. The, the, Honour, order. the Honourable Lady is a new member. She's highly articulate and she will be heard. The Honourable Lady will be heard. Layla Moran. Mr.
1: Speaker. Parents in my constituency are disappointed. Over the summer they sought to take advantage of the 30 hours of free childcare but due to underfunding they found that it was not available oh. and not free. Will the Prime Minister apologise to parents across the country yeah, yeah, yeah. for the Advertising on what otherwise would have been a welcome policy. (laughs) Prime Minister! Well, uh, what I can tell the Honourable Lady is that we are investing £1 billion of extra funding every year in early years' entitlements, and that includes £300 million per year to increase the national average funding rate. And This investment is based on uh, work that was done, a plan that was done by the Department for Education, which was indeed described by the National Audit Office as thorough and wide-ranging. there are important ways that childcare providers can get more from their funding. The DFE is offering to support them to do that. Um, but its independent research has shown that our hourly funding rate is significantly higher than the average cost for providing a place to a three or four-year-old. And I would hope the Honourable Lady would welcome the fact that this issue of childcare is one that this government has taken on board and is delivering on. Michelle Thank you, Mr. Speaker. For the second year running, I'm planning the Wiltshire Festival of Engineering. This time with the Honourable Member for South West Wiltshire. We hope to inspire 3,000 children to help challenge stereotypes of engineering careers, to help combat the local skills gap, and in addition, we want to highlight that Wiltshire really is a hub of engineering, design, and technology. Would the Prime Minister considering attending, uh, consider attending this wonderful event? Prime Minister. Can I congratulate my honourable friend for her initiative? And can I say she does raise a very important point. I think it's important that we do see more young people moving into engineering, see and um, pursuing careers in engineering and science more generally. And obviously the steps that she's taking with uh, our honourable friend, the Member for South West Wiltshire, is an important part of this. And we do need to address those stereotypes. I'm particularly keen to address the stereotype about engineering and women in engineering because I think we should see more women going in engineering. And if my diary allows, I will be
0: very happy to attend her festival. Ms Streeting. Thank you, you, Mr Speaker. Clinicians don't believe it would be safe. uh, Commissioners and providers don't believe it would be feasible. So isn't it now the time for ministers to reverse the decision they took in 2011 to close the accident and emergency department at King George Hospital?
2: Can
1: I say to to the honourable gentleman? We have been very clear that where decisions are taken, we want those decisions to be taken at a local level with clinical advice. And that is exactly what the Department of Health is doing.
0: Mr Mr. Mr. Speaker, as Home Secretary, the Prime Minister was one of the first to appreciate the alarming extent of child sexual exploitation and respond to calls from many of us to set up the Historic Abuse Inquiry. Did she agree with me that those who expose and work to root out the criminal perpetrators for the horrific crimes they commit, especially
1: in the face of so-called cultural sensitivities mm-hmm. hiding behind the cloak of political correctness, should be encouraged and promoted, not castigated and
0: gagged. Yeah. Minister.
1: My hon. Friend has raised a very sensitive and important issue, and as he says, as was an issue that I took a particular interest in when I was Home Secretary, anyone who abuses a child must be stopped, regardless of their race, age or gender. Child sexual exploitation is not exclusive to any single culture, community, race or religion. It does happen in all areas of the country. It can take many different forms. But I'm clear, and the government is clear, that political or cultural sensitivities must not get in the way of preventing and uncovering child abuse. And the freedom to speak out must apply to those in positions of responsibility, including ministers and shadow ministers on both sides of this House. Because, if we turn a blind eye to this abuse, as has happened too much in the past, then more crimes will be committed and more children will be suffering in silence.
0: Ms Kendall.
1: Thank you, Mr Speaker. Glenfield's Children's Heart Surgery Unit has some of the best outcomes in the country, including mortality rates lower than the national average. Now, Professor Aradazi says proposals to change children's heart surgery are astonishing, embarrassing and plucked out of thin air. So can I ask the Prime Minister to ensure the final decision is made on the basis of sound clinical evidence and when this house is sitting so MPs can question Ministers about NHS England's plans? The Honourable Lady is aware that there are many ways in which MPs can question Ministers about plans, but as I have said in answer to one of her Honourable colleagues, uh, Honourable friends earlier, uh, the decisions about the future structure of uh, the NHS and the services and their provision will be taken and are being taken on the basis of clinical need and clinical evidence.
0: Matt Warman. Uh, thank thank, Thank you, Mr Speaker. Britain is among the world's leading digital economies. and As we leave the European Union, technology will be crucial to a successful Brexit from the Northern Irish border to customs controls. So does the Prime Minister agree with me that Brexit can kickstart a further wave of digital investment and that, working with the industry, a Brexit technology task force could help her do that? Yeah. Oh.
1: Well, my uncle my friend is absolutely right about the position that the United Kingdom holds in relation to science and uh, innovation. We're already a leading uh, destination. We have some of the world's top universities, three of which are in the world's top ten and we have more Nobel Prize winners than any country outside of the United States. We have a proud history of cutting-edge research in science, in innovation, in technology, and, as he says, Brexit gives us an opportunity to give a further kickstart to uh, our position in relation to the digital economy and technology. We will want to attract investment from all over the world uh, in relation to this, and we will want to work with industry to ensure that that can be done.
2: Phil Wilson,
0: Speaker. In that conference speech last year, the Prime Minister
2: said existing work, workers' legal rights will continue to be guaranteed in law,
0: and they will be guaranteed as long as I am Prime Minister. Can the Prime Minister tell the House how long that will be?
2: <laughs> Prime Minister
1: can I say to the honourable gentleman that that is, that is a commitment that I am I'm happy to stand by commitments in relation to improving workers' rights? That's something that we have been doing as Conservative government, it's something that we will continue to do, and it's something I will continue to do as Prime Minister.
0: Finally, Mrs. Cheryl Gillen.
1: Mr Speaker, tomorrow is World Duchenne Awareness Day, which highlights this devastating muscle waste- wasting condition that affects young men, like my constituent, Archie Hill. If, as anticipated, the current development of a more reliable newborn screening test goes ahead, psychological support must be readily available to any affected families. Would the Prime Minister provide an assurance to families and Muscular Dystrophy UK that NHS England will develop such a vital Psychological Support Provision.
0: Prime Minister. Well, my
1: right honourable friend has raised an important aspect of, the, uh, of this particular uh, terrible condition. And I recognise the importance of ensuring that people can uh, access appropriate psychological support when they have a young family member diagnosed with this serious health problem. And in relation to the new screening test, I understand that uh, Muscular Dystrophy UK is working with one of the NHS's advisory, NHS England's advisory groups. To understand how best to meet the needs of parents and carers following the diagnosis of this child. So I'm grateful to my right honourable friend for having raised this important issue. Thank you. Order.